Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Seeing It All. We break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. We got a whole lot to cover this week. We got our Haunting in Venice, Flops of the Box, Salva's Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, new trailer. Percy Jackson got our first full trailer, and Ahsoka episode six review all up on here. I don't have a review of Expendables 4. I was not doing that to myself. You, I was not making my forcing myself to go see it. So we just have really a lot of trailer breakdowns, box office talk, and of course my Ahsoka episode six review. So we're on at a good pace right there. First up today, I want to talk about this past week's box office, and that is we have a new player in this game, and that is Haunting in Venice, the third film in the Hukur Parof series. This name is so much fun to say. It came in at second place, though. It didn't even win the weekend. That's there's been a there's been a murder at the box office, and the nun two is the prime suspect. Um, no, but this this franchise really is killing itself. It, it's 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 a suicide. I think I ruled this as a suicide. Everybody, there was no murder here. It's suicide. So, Haunting in Venice, a film that I enjoyed, but I'm going to enjoy any murder mystery that has a good kill, good murder, fun mystery with interesting characters, and good payoff. Like, I didn't see the ending kind of, I'm like, oh, that's a good solution to the problem. And I thought it got all the essentials down pat and had an awesome atmosphere. Make sure to check out my full thoughts, and I had a full review last week. It's up on the YouTube channel. You can check out last week's episode. But Haunting in Venice opened to $14.3 million over the three-day weekend, domestically speaking, of course. And that is very rough. That's not good at all. It's only slightly above Death on the Nile, which came out in February 2022. The pandemic was still kind of affecting the box office at the time. And, of course, you had all the Army Hammer drama. Just wasn't a... It was. It had, like, a perfect storm of bad press. And nobody went... No, no older audiences weren't back out yet. I don't think Top, Top Gun Maverick hadn't come out, brought all those old people back yet to the movie theaters. So... It just wasn't looking good. Um, that Death on Now, as I said, opened to twelve point seven million, but it had a much higher budget. I think close to ninety million, and its money reflected in the size of the stars it had in the cast. Um, at least we didn't go down. We can't go down from here with our stars here. But I wish they had Gal Gadot, Letitia Wright, a few others. Just not as big. Not as big as Murder on the Orient Express was. Murder on the Orient Express. Um, it opened to thirty to twenty eight million back in two thousand seventeen, and went on to gross over three hundred fifty million worldwide. Oh, that's that's incredible. I don't know what happened there. Death on the Nile actually lost money. It only made about $130 million worldwide on this $90 million budget. So that lost money. Morning Alert Express was all set on a train. So they spent all their money on the cast and they made it star study. You had Johnny Depp. You had, who else was in there? Daisy Ridley. A few other people. Like it was very much, I re- Michelle Pfeiffer. I recognize all those people. And I wish, that's what I want my murderers. I want big stars coming in doing short parts where they do the interview for the murder. And they're there for the final caster deal. I feel like there's a way they can function these. Murder on the Express did very well. Even if it's not my favorite of the franchise, they, I guess I need to rewatch it. But I, I guess I just wish they functioned better. And I feel like with that, you can get the budget down while having bigger stars. Here we had no one, which I don't understand. This Haunting in Venice cost $60 million to make. That was the budget for Haunting in Venice. I don't know where that money went. Where did it go? Where did the $60 million production budget go? Because the only big stars were Tina Fey and Michelle Yeoh. And Michelle Yeoh... She didn't win her Oscar before she filmed this, so she didn't, she didn't get to charge the Oscar winner t- uh, tax on it. So I don't know where the money went. It, it's all set in a single haunted house, so I don't know what's happening there. But if it can go, if it can go on to have legs at the box office, I think we could see honestly see a fourth one with this because I think Disney likes Kenneth Branagh on the prestige he brings, and these are fun projects. These are passion projects for his, so I think he might convince them to do another one. But it'd have to be even smaller budget, and we need to. I need Kenneth Branagh would have to come in with some big names already attached to it. Um, let's get some more. 
let's get some more A-listers in here because this ain't cutting it. I think Glass Onion and Murder Lauren Express had like the perfect mix of A-listers and a little bit lesser known talent. I don't like a ton of unknowns in my murder mysteries. I want to be able to recognize them and then easily identify them because they don't usually have crazy names. I want them to be easily identifiable. And the ones in this past and Honey Venice, I didn't say I wouldn't say they are all easily identifiable. I feel like the best one to say I could tell them all apart exactly was Glass Onion, my favorite murder mystery. And I rewatched that after I saw Honey and Venice. I'm like, dang, this is a really good movie. And you can easily tell everybody apart. They even compared it to Clue. Clue has very, very distinct people. I think it would have been better if you had more distinct people. And I feel like Honey Venice could more easily follow along with some of the more convoluted parts. All of the Hercule Poirot murder mysteries have the same exact cinema score of B. But I honestly think that means the audience liked this movie better because it had the horror elements. Horror usually scores lower and it still managed to keep the same score as along with the other ones. Hopefully that bodes well for its second week. I mean, it's still a B isn't great. I'd really like to see a B plus with the tour elements, even an A minus to show the audiences really do love this, but I don't know. I just, hopefully that, as I said, hopefully it bodes well for its second week. It's longevity because I wouldn't mind more murder mysteries in the movie going landscape, but I don't see it worldwide. The film opened to 37 million. It's total global haul. So we got a long ways to go before break even on that. We got a long ways to go for the detective. And I don't know if a fourth film seems possible at this point. Other film we got to talk about since past box office is The Nun 2, which had a really good second weekend. Very, very surprising. I'm surprised it only fell 54% in the second weekend, and it made more money than Ahani and Venice did. It came in at number one at $14.5 million. That's absolutely amazing right there, and I think I have a prediction as to why. I think the 54 million people that went and saw the first stun were, burnt, were burned by it and weren't going to come back for the sequel. But then they heard it wasn't a train wreck like the first one. They they all saw the first one were completely burned by it because it's absolutely awful. I thought it was good. I thought none two was good. And they they thought the reaction they were hearing were somewhat positive. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a second chance to decide to see for themselves. They had hope. I think that's the reason it didn't fall as much because it had a C plus cinema score, which is not good at all. But people still went out and saw it. And we see those results here at the box office. It looks like worldwide the film was probably going to finish with around 275 million on a budget of less than 40 million. That's how you do it right there. That's how you budget a film right there, right there. The Conjuring universe is probably the second most successful cinematic universe behind the MCU, and it's the most successful on a gross on a on a gross to cost ratio. These films profited so much because they cost so little. Horror is so easy to make because it's it's just it's incredible. These films printed so much money because they cost little. They are never ever ending this franchise but i still want them to do an all-stars in-game conjuring style event with patrick stewart and vera Farmiga, and everybody shows up i want everybody to show up i think that film could make like over 500 million dollars if they did it and marketed it properly um i think it could do, still do well i think it could do that well and i think we're probably going to get a third nun if she doesn't show up in the conjuring four based on the stellar performance absolutely incredible performance by the nun right there the first trailer we got to talk about is hunger games ballad of songbirds and snakes the trailer actually looks really good. I am very, very impressed by what I saw here. I am very much surprised. A little background info on the Hunger Games franchise before we dive in on the trailer itself. I am a huge fan of the Hunger Games series. They're my absolute favorite. Mockingjay is my favorite book of the series, and Mockingjay Part 2 is my favorite movie of the four that they did. Although Catching Fire is pretty close in the movie department. I love Jennifer Lawrence's Katniss, but I especially love the role Snow played, most likely in the films and in the books to a lesser extent, but mostly in the movies. I thought he had so much layering as a villain, and the actor who played him, Donald Sutherland, mwah, mwah, perfect. It was absolutely perfect. His last scene in Mockingjay Part 2 was just amazing. The scene with him in the garden with Katniss, and he said the line, like, Miss Everdeen, we promise we wouldn't lie to each other. Mm, mwah. I loved it. I just I love the gravitas he brings. Just absolutely stunning. I absolutely love his character. So I probably got into the Hunger Games around 2018. Um, that was right when I was really starting to get in movies in general. 
And I watched the movies before I read the book. That's usually my yes, I did watch. I I watched the movie before I read the book. That's probably sacred. That's probably hypocrisy. Not hypocrisy. What's the word I'm saying? Sac sacrilegious to many people out there. But I like watching the movie before I read the book. So I have a picture in my brain. And the books are usually more in depth. So you're like, oh, I get more here rather than being disappointed because the movies have to shrink stuff down. And movies are my preferred medium anyway. So I'm gonna watch the movie before I read the book every day of the week. Um, I. Have, as I said, I decided that Snow was my favorite character in the books, and the announcement came shortly after I got into Hunger Games that he would be getting his very own book. Ooh. I bought the book immediately, and this was during COVID time. I think it was like May of 2020, so I had time just to sit and read it in one day. It was probably one of the only times I read a book before I read the book before I'm going to see the movie, and it was a unique experience when it came to the Hunger Games world. I really loved the first two acts of the book, and the ending of the book, I liked that too, but it felt drag, it dragged a little in third act, which, and it kind of came out of nowhere, so I hope they can structure that part a bit better, and I won't give away to what happens in third act, but it's very different tonally, and just story-wise from the first two acts, and I'm curious, I'm curious how the audience is going to react to that. But then we saw the first trailer for Hunger Games, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes, it's so long, it's such a long title, just we talk about snow in the hunger games or something like that we need a better title here i'm just calling it hunger games when i'm talking to friends uh i thought the first trailer looked great and i was i was super excited but now we're getting a new trailer film and this trailer looks even better than that first one i think the biggest new thing we see here is rachel zegler singing the iconic hanging tree song from the first hunger games movie she can definitely sing better than jennifer lawrence jennifer lawrence isn't a singer but rachel zegler is an incredible singer and it looks like she's doing that iconic song justice beyond that there's some really great lines here particularly one from peter dinklage who says something about a mystery unsolved will drive a man mad and he just delivers that line so well i'm like man there's a reason this guy's won four enemies i absolutely love peter dinklage we're just watching him we're watching game of thrones right now i'm like oh i forgot how, how amazing an actor he is i want him in more stuff peter dinklage and viola davis are both bringing the star power and the as the crazy they're the crazy hunger games leaders viola davis especially with her with her love for rainbow snakes and i can't remember exactly what happens to them but we see them get dropped in the arena and i kind of have vague memories of reading about that but i don't remember too much but i love it i kind of wish they didn't show that off in the trailer because i don't remember i'm like oh i, I wish you didn't show that that would have been a cool surprise for us to drop those snakes everywhere but i think viola davis viola davis as an actress has the ability to look crazy on the outside but you know she's absolutely clever on the inside I, you can totally see that on her face they take a line directly from the book when she asks them what is the point of the Hunger Games or what do they mean? I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but they adapted that pretty directly. I remember that conversation in the books. And I'm, I, I'm excited to see her act that out with our young president, Snow, and I don't remember what his actor's name that plays him. We see some of the more arena action here, and I think that looks particularly well-filmed with us falling along with Rachel Zegler and see the attack swoosh around her head as she dodges them, and then you have the, the flying drones, which I don't remember being in the book, as they go around her head as she has to dodge them, and there's staffs flying. It looks very well filmed, very chaotic. I'm very excited. I didn't like in the first Hunger Games the shaky cam that they used to stimulate chaoticness. I like when it's following a character and you see it all happening around them. I feel like that's more chaos and more understandable chaos, less than you're out of it chaos. I, I like that. I like my, I have particular forms of chaos I like to choose. <laughs> and same thing with the same thing, such as the destruction of the arena. It seems small in scope when I read it in the book. I remember that happening in the book. Um, but it looks very big and climactic here. I love it. I, I love them running away from it. I was like, oh, that's some real destruction right there. I don't. I thought it was like a few rocks falling. I was like, how, how did that happen? This looks destruction-y. They are still showing a lot from the end of this movie, which I'm surprised me. I like a lot more than you would think. And I'm curious how general audiences are going to react to the events that unfold. Probably when I say the last 20 minutes of this movie, 
People, I don't know how people are going to react to that. <laughs> and the movie is two hours and twenty, two hours and forty minutes long, actually, essentially. And I had no idea they were going to make it this long. But the book has a lot of content, so I think this could be a good length for it if it used wisely. I think this is the longest Hunger Games book that's been written. But they they switched out. I think Mockingjay was the longest Hunger Games book and book written at the time. They made it in two movies, so I'm glad they didn't make this two movies. Now we're just getting a full a full meal right here. Lastly, we also see a look at Snow when he's even younger, and I think that scene will be particularly brutal, and I hope they don't shy away from it. I mean, come on. We're watching a movie about children murdering each other. They're having a fight to the death. I don't think we can shy away from Snow's even even earlier backs, even earlier backstory. Uh, and just letting everyone know, too, on here that they are re-releasing the first Hunger Games movie for two days in October. I think it's like the 15th and 17th, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there, mid-October. I'm going to try to get out and see it, but I think that is one. That is that one is the worst of the four, honestly. Which I wish they would have chosen Catching Fire or Mockingjay Part Two, but that's still cool. I think they'll actually make a good chunk of change. It's not going to make as much as Avatar did. That re-release, I think, it was like one of the most successful re-releases of all time because you was like, oh, I want to experience that experience that in the theater again. It's not going to be like that. It's only two days long. It's not super wide, I don't believe. But I'm glad they're putting them out there and help that chunk of change they make and go towards the marketing of this film. But all that is to say, I'm really, really excited for Hunger Games, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. And I just can't wait for November to get here and I finally start to get back in the groove of loving every movie I see. Every, every movie I see each week. There's no way I was going to make myself watch Expendables 4, as I said. I'm just not doing that smell. My brain can only handle so many mid-movies. And with this Hunger Games, the Marvels, Disney's Wish, Napoleon, probably some others that I'm forgetting about. I wish Dune 2 had stayed here. I'm just excited for theaters to get ramped up back again. With fun. They've been they've been so dead this past few weeks and so sad watching this. Hunger Games looks so good. And maybe this will lead to more projects down the line. I would love to see some more Hunger Games spin-offs. I could really see them expanding this universe. But who knows? Maybe. Who knows? I'm just please make a good movie. I'm counting you, Lionsgate. I have faith in you, Lionsgate. You made a good John Wick. Apparently you made a bad John Wick series. But I got faith you made a you made a good Hunger Games movie. Please don't let me down. So we got some more trailer stuff to break down here. And that's let's begin with our discussion. Of Disney Plus content, and that is our new trailer for Percy Jackson, the first season, which will release its first two episodes on December twentieth. I also found out today, though, that the series only has six episodes. I thought we were done with six-episode bullcrap. It is so very annoying, and I hope they have enough time to properly tell the story here. Hopefully, with Rick Riordan involved, the author of the books, maybe we will. Hopefully, but six episodes—that's not a good sign. I just—I'm very nervous now. Um, but getting into the trailer, it's only a minute and a half, which, why aren't we just point, putting out a normal length for a trailer? We've already had seen two short teasers. We saw one at the beginning of this year that was like, I think, 50 seconds, maybe? I don't know. Then we saw another one that was like 30 seconds. And now we're getting one that's now a minute and a half. Can you give us a normal length for a trailer? Let's give, let's get, we have a two and a half minute trailer. Come on, guys. It, we know how this stuff works. Give me a good trailer. Actually shows off what's happening. I mean, another story. I read the book. This is the book I know most. But I'm honestly... I'm not loving what I'm seeing here. Maybe because I feel like the first book is the most standard of the five. And I remember the most about the first book. I think I've read the first book the most amount of times. Um, I've only read probably, I've read two, I think maybe twice, but I haven't gone past two. I've only read three, four, and five once. I remember loving three. I liked five. I didn't like some of the choices in five, but they kind of all blend together in my brain. So I'm kind of like not forcing myself to go back and read them. Cause so I hope, I hope this gets, is good and we renew this for more seasons. Cause I want to see those stories played on screen. We've already seen the first one and kind of the second movie played on screen. I love to see, let's further continue the story. Let's move past this. But maybe I'm just not in love. I'm just not in love with what I'm seeing. The cast all looks great, particularly Percy, 
who's Walker Scoble. He looks good. Little Ryan Reynolds, Annabeth. I like the actress that plays her. I think she has good on-screen presence. And of course, the late Lance Reddick as Zeus. I think they could deliver really good Zeus here with that performance of Reddick. But other than that, it just it looks very childish. The effects in particular, they look very rough. Um, you see the backgrounds look very screen screeny and just it just they don't feel like they're blending in right and they're not interacting quite clearly with it, especially when the monsters when it tackles them. Like, oh, that doesn't that doesn't look very good. Besides like two shots I saw. One shot that I saw was a bow hole holding up Percy's mom before she gets something happens to her. And I thought that shot looked really cinematic and cool. Also, when it's they see the flash of lightning and the bowls right next to the car. I thought that was really good. I was like, oh, this bull scene. I know this bull scene is going to be good. And it's probably gonna be the first episode. I'm like, mm, this bull scene is good. And the music choice for this trailer also was very childish. I understand using Riptide for the correlation that his sword's name is Riptide. His little sword that pops out of like a pen or something. And also goes along with Poseidon and the water effects. And and I just, I but I thought the remix they had here was just not it. It did not fit the images we were seeing at all. I can't wait to see what they do with the St. Louis scene, though. Um, I still have faith in that. And the Sally scene looks really cool, as I said. Also, as I said, I think there's just a lot to cover. And I actually hope they don't make it a slow, a slow-paced show with just only just sex episodes. I'm just growing more worried by the day about this show, which makes me really sad because I love the first five books of the Percy Jackson series. As I said, I haven't gone back to watch, read them again. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm honestly, some of the stuff with the movie, which I've seen once, I think, I hope the, the movie, I think they did two scenes well. I think they did the white Lo the white Lotus scene or whatever it was called where they get to the casino and they play poker face. Also the use of poker face because poker face is a good song. Also help that scene and they all get go crazy. And the long one, I like him using, I love water telekinetic powers when you're storm water at people. I thought that was good. Um, they just skipped out on so many real parts that it's like they completely changed the story. So I hope they actually, with Rick Riordan involved, they're going to make this a accurate story. And there's some, creepy things with greek mythology that i think you could make this age range more tv 14 and less tv y7 or whatever and i hope they do i hope this make this more adult greek stuff is creepy greek stuff is weird greek stuff is crazy and that's why i think so many kids are fascinated by it like it's just so completely absurd and it's like wow that's very unique and i hope they can portray that on the screen i have hope in Rick Riordan, but i don't know how it's gonna look out i'm hoping i'm getting a rare an early christmas present here but Let's hope the next promo they put out is the actual full trailer and a more serious music choice to actually make this look like a primetime show, because this ain't it. But sticking with the Disney Plus news, I'm just going to loop this with the Percy Jackson news rather than the Soka news, because I've got a lot to say about Ahsoka. I want to mention that they are making the release time of Loki Season 2 the same time as Ahsoka, so that means 8 p.m. for me. I absolutely love this news. It makes it so much easier and much more enjoyable to watch. I think Disney realizes they are getting more engagement in their shows because of the time. Ahsoka has been very successful for them, and I think they hope to have the same thing happen with Loki. The first season was the most popular Marvel show, and I think this might continue its legacy. The first episode of Loki Season 2 releases on October 5th at 8 p.m., which is a Thursday, not a Tuesday, by the way. Um, they haven't announced whether or not the subse subsequent episodes in the next five will drop on Thursdays or Tuesdays. I hope they change them to Tuesdays. Because I have plans every Thursday night, and I really hope they go back to Tuesday so I can watch them right when they drop and can actually review them on the show. I might have to change the show time. I also see movies on Thursday, and then I go to trivia, and I go out to dinner, and it's just Thursdays are not a good day. Can we please keep it on Tuesday? Like, I have perfect time. Please go back to Tuesday. Please just give me a good time and a good day. But I'm very excited for Loki Season 2, and Ahsoka is going pretty well so far. I'm just, Disney Plus, they're, they're redeeming themselves for me. They're doing better. I'm very now for the weekly review of Ahsoka. This time it is Ahsoka episode 6 and warning 
spoilers do follow us. So if you want to check out the show, go ahead and check out. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed episode six. But again, I felt it was really flawed. I want to talk about my positives and negatives overall here before I get into the nitty gritty and stuff. And first of all, Ahsoka isn't even in this episode. She opens the show with a conversation with Hugh Yang about how Sabine turns against him and she knew. And I like that she's actually opening up and about stuff because usually she doesn't open up about anything. And I'm glad she's actually opening up with Hugh Yang. And Hugh Yang offers some condolences and says she probably did it for some right reason. It'll probably all work out. Who knows? Then he tells the history of, he tells a history lesson and he uses the line, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I loved, absolutely loved the use of that line. I was like, oh, this is very fan service but I do love it. Um, but that was it. I thought it was a perfect, sweet way to start the episode before they cut to the title card and the name of this was like far, far away. I was like, mm, that's a good right there. That's a good right there. Although the whale CGI did in the hyperspace and the rainbow effect because they're going so fast. It looked a bit fuzzy to me here, but that's the only Ahsoka we get in this episode. The only bit. But since Ahsoka and Hera, my girl Hera ain't even in this episode. Hera's the best part of the show. She ain't even here. And we're just focusing on the villains and Sabine. And I wish Hera was in this. And I wish Ahsoka was more in this, but. We get our first interaction with live interaction with live action Thrawn. I thought all the stuff with the villains was absolutely great this episode. Thrawn, of course, but you had Balin and Shin. Balin had some really excellent mo monologues. Ray Stevenson delivered those monologues so well. And Morgan was good too, but Balin really stole the episode for me along with Thrawn. But Sabine really brought the episode down for me. And I don't think she works well as an actress on her own. Like she's good and bouncing off other people, but especially when she's interacting with CGI creatures, it was just not the best. She was probably a good fourth or third of the episode. And I really did not like any of her scenes she's in. I thought she brought down the gravitas, brought down on the power of the scenes we were seeing with Thrawn. And I was like, oh, what is this? And they're like, we got to wait three days before we leave. I'm like, let's get the heck out of here now. I've been here all life. We going. We got to go. They're mining something. Oh, I bumped the mic. They're mining something or something like that. I'm just like, oh, let's, we got to go. Let's get out of here. I don't want to stay here. Uh, I didn't think, as I said, the Sabine scenes were acted really well. And I didn't think they were particularly inter interesting. Honestly, I cared a lot more about finding Thrawn than I did Ezra. And Star's Rebels, Ezra's like my least favorite character along with Zeb, so I didn't give a crap about him. Thrawn, though. Thrawn, he was cool. Oh, my gosh. But back to the more specifics and breaking down this episode. They make it to the new galaxy, and they make it to a planet. And it's actually the Witches of Dathomir's planet before the Empire fell. Also, the ring around the planet was like the, the, the graveyard for the space whales. That was a cool idea. I like seeing that like they came here to die. Oh. And we get some background with them that the witches of Dathomir basically rode them and they colonized. They were kind of like the start of the new galaxy, like before they even chronological time. I feel like they get, I hope those witches don't get brutally murdered because I hate witches. I hate witches so much, but it was cool seeing them in live action. I mean, they did look a fan, a little bit of fan filmy, but they still look good. I'm saying that so much, so much in all my soccer reviews that that looks cool in live action. Well, that looks cool in live action. It's the tangilization of it, the tangilization of it. I love it. But then Thrawn shows, shows up. Oh boy, was I ready. And I think Lars Mikkelsen really delivers on the acting and especially his voice and the way he takes moments to contemplate his thoughts before he actually says his days. You see him like take a pause and think about it. Sometimes the show is too slow, but I think it's perfect slow in those moments because you can tell gears are turning his head. And that's that's due to Lars Mikkelsen because he's a good actor. The only drawback from this was I think he was a tad bit overweight. And when they're filming from the side, it's like, oh, he looks really heavy here. And when I think Thrawn, I always think prepared. He was always fighting people, fighting fools in Star Wars Rebels, and he took on Ezra one-on-one, -on -one, and it really doesn't look like he could do that here. I want my villains to have some physical capabilities, too. His ship was awesome with all the gold fixings that 
like they had the gold to like fix it up. I don't know exactly what it was. And then they had the stormtroopers, the golden feud parts, and that one weird guy with a face like mask. I didn't like that. I didn't like that one. But I was watching it and I kept going, Oh, I want to buy that. That's collectible. I want to buy that. I want to buy that. And so on. And all the toy companies like, Oh, we're gonna have to make so much money on Thrawn's fleet, especially in the movie. If they're in a movie, oh my gosh, they're gonna make so much money with this new different stormtroopers. Definitely nobody's doing money coming to the toy department. I don't get Thrawn's plan. Why even send Sabine out and give Ezra a chance of joining you on the ship? Back, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he could sneak on if you found out you were leaving. And he didn't know Ahsoka was coming. Thrawn didn't know Ahsoka was coming to the end of the episode. So it didn't really make sense. Just leave him stranded there. Don't even bother him. Move on with it. He can live out his days here. I don't think Thrawn would be the one to seek vengeance. Let's just leave his ass. We don't need to save him. As for Morgan, she's tagging along with Thrawn and is fangirling about all the witch sisters. It's kind of see. She's like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, it's so cool to see you guys. Which is funny, but the real standouts of this episode for me were the Balin and Shen, and we got to see more of their beliefs and that they want a con they want the constant cycle of Sith to rise, Jedi to rise, one to fall, the other to fall, rise again, and they want to take they want to take place of both. I actually love this idea, and I kind of support them because the galaxy seems to be in constant turmoil because of the Jedi and the Sith. Like they are at fault. It is your guys' fault. This is all screwed up, and I think it's time for both to end. Let's have a happy medium. Balin seems to believe that, and I would really cool for them to take that approach. Um, I hope they honestly take that approach with Rey and her upcoming movie that she's kind of in the middle. And I love the Grey Jedi stuff, even though I don't think they call it Grey Jedi anymore. I kind of align myself more in the middle, and I think that's honestly what you need. You need a little bit of both. You need a little bit of compromise on both. Not just one strict moral values, not just one other strict moral values. Let's get, a, let's get up in the middle, and then we solve our issues. We don't have to have issues ever again. So that was all the stuff I loved. Everything to do with the villain side and Ahsoka's little part at the beginning. I love that. But the Sabine stuff, was so boring all the stuff she's doing on top of saying that actress cannot act on her own i won't go into and go into more it's hard for them to act up in good complete cgi i sure as hell could not do it the backgrounds also looked really fake this episode especially when sabine was on the planet and they were on the star destroyer it just looked so much like the volume was like we're not filming this well at all sabine has a rat wolf with her and she meets these rock turtles one of them has a little baby which was so freaking cute with its giant eyes i want that now i want all this stuff as toys even if i didn't like sabine stuff i wanted all the toys and i don't really like the little turtle creatures the rat wolf was kind of cute but it takes sabine forever honestly easier than i thought it, it would be thank god they didn't drag this out and find we finally see ezra here i thought their reunion would have been a bit more emotional like maybe some tears but there was hook was kind of a letdown like they didn't fit very well and i really do not like the actor for ezra one bit his eyes were like so bright blue and i was like please someone please buy him brown contacts please um he brought me more hippie energy than ezra ezra bridge and Ener bridger energy i was really let down with the ezra and sabine side of this episode but i really love the empire stuff on display here i just sabine stuff didn't do for me ezra didn't feel like ezra i think it kind of fan casted me in a suit in my brain and the guy just didn't live up to that like space aladdin ezra is space aladdin at this point and i wish sabine and him had some emotion on their face it just all those scenes were kind of let down to me and i hope maybe we get more into it and i'm like only they only got one lifesaver the interesting stuff is their color lightsaber, but they got one lightsaber to share between them. Who's going to keep it? We guess we find out next week. Um, there was more spent time spent on the Empire stuff, so I can say overall I enjoyed this episode, but I still want to get back up to the heights of the fourth episode. The fourth episode was so good. I remember I was just like, wow. When it, when it ended, I was like, oh my God, that was beautiful. And we had all, we had Hera, we had Sabine, and we had Ahsoka all interacting. I need the three players. Hera wasn't even in this episode. It makes me so sad. Maybe I don't like this episode because Hera wasn't in it. Because Hera is my favorite. It makes me sad. Um, I think Rick Femiu is directing the final two episodes, or at least the finale. And I think he could really blow us away. He did the two Mandalorian last episode. Oh, mwah, amazing. I love it. I'm really hoping for an awesome climactic finale that will lead into an awesome Mandalorian movie. Or Ahsoka season two. I don't know how this pan out, but I really, really am hoping.
as for what's coming next week, we have so many things coming. First of all, the big one, the one I'm excited about, is The Creator. The film came out of nowhere back at CinemaCon, and it was a new sci-fi film from the partial director of Rogue One, Count Me In. It has a ton of Terminator vibes and just looks so cool, and I really had high hopes for this movie, and it looks like it delivers. The first social media reactions came out for The Creator, and they were they were abs- they were awesome. Everybody's calling it um, like new sci-fi classic, and I'm just it's like perfectly bred for me, and I'm so very excited for that. I will be seeing the creator early access training at IMAX next week. I'm just really pumped. I cannot wait. Next week we have Saw X. I've never seen a Saw film. I don't think I ever will. We see if this. We, I will see if this gets good reviews, and I make, my, make force myself to go out and see it if it's actually a good movie. But I really, I just cannot do torture porn movies. That is, all these movies are watching people just getting brutally injured and murdered. It just makes me super uncomfortable and sick to my stomach. I really don't get how people enjoy these films. Also, it's stupid Jigsaw. You are not giving these people a choice to live. It's a stupid justification, you maniac. I mean, he is a psychopath, but I, he's like, you have the choice to live. No, they don't. They're choosing to rip off an arm. The one that got me the most, even though I've never seen it, is the one when they have jumping in the vaccine to find it. Oh, all the needles. Oh, my God. Who watches this? Who wants to watch this? I don't understand. I'm ready for this franchise to end, but if it gets good reviews, who knows? Maybe I'll be there opening night. Who knows? Then we have Paw Patrol and things like a superhero spawn. And it was Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol was after my childhood, but my brother loved it for about a year, and my little cousin is obsessed with it. So I think this movie will make money. There are parents out here will take their little kids to go see it. It's weird Kim, Dar- Kim Kardashian's in this, though. I would not be seeing this movie. No, I will not. I also think this movie will be very bad from at least what I've seen from the trailers. So yeah, not good. And last up is Dumb Money, which finally expands into wide release. It opened for real this past week in like eight theaters, but it expands into wide in next week. Whose stupid idea at Sony was this to wait this long to do a wide release? This has become, Sony has become my least favorite studio at this point. I think you had the opportunity to go wide this week or the week before. You choose the weekend with three other wide releases to go wide on it. It's so stupid. There's so many movies releasing here. The end of September is not a hot date, you guys. Let's choose a better not so grounded one, but I'm really excited to see Dumb Money. I think it looks good. I just wish it would have its had its wide release earlier. And I swear, if they're not showing this film in my local theater, I'm going to lose it. Studios, learn how to properly distribute your films. At least Taylor Swift, who circumvented you, knows how to open a movie fully wide, you idiots. It just makes so angry when we have a drought of good movies, and then we try to pile them all on the same week. Guys, let's spread out the love. Let's think about this. Let's spread out this love here. I don't know what you're doing here. But that'll do it for this week's episode. See it all next week. You'll probably hear my review of the creator and most likely dumb money. And then of course, the soak up. So seven box office this past week. That's probably gonna be it. There might be an added story in there. Who knows what WGA is talking again with the studio heads. So who knows? Maybe the strike will end. I don't have hopes at this point, but what do you guys think of all the stories today? Did you like a soak episode six? What did you think of a honey and Venice flopping? Did you like the hunger games trailer or the Percy Jackson trailer? Let me know what you all think down below. Follow me on my social media, on my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. And make sure to check out next week's episode. As I said, dumb money, creator, come back for that. But thank you all so much for listening and have a good night now. Bye-bye.